Thank you uh, to our musicians. And by the way, tonight we'll be, uh, we'll be looking at uh, Exodus chapter 31. Uh, Pastor Ryan's on holiday, so uh, Pastor Andrew will be ministering the word tonight. Shall we pray as we open God's word? Our Heavenly Father, how thankful we are for your word that is life to us that it tells us who you are, the glorious, majestic, perfectly holy and righteous God. And it tells us what we are like as those who have been created in your image but marred by the fall. And we recognize that all too often our lives are broken and how much we need you. And we thank you that it tells us that the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, came into this world and willingly bore our sin on Calvary so that we could look to him and by faith find forgiveness and life and hope. And as we move into a new year, we recognize that hope is real. And we pray for any that might not yet have that hope in Jesus, that today they would put their trust in him. Help me as I share your word. Would you be glorified? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. This morning is the first Sunday of the new year. And for many people, when the new year begins, it's a time of reflection, a time of re-evaluation, a time of setting positive goals and of new beginnings. And that's good, all too often we make these goals and we forget these goals, but it's good that we do this. Unlike our society, the Jewish communities have their New Year's date in September, and they call it Rosh Hashanah. It's a word that means the head of the year. The day itself is celebrated in many ways, particularly great happiness and celebrations, but it begins with the blowing of the shofar, the ram's horn. In fact, it is to be blown 100 times during that day. The blowing of this ram's horn is to symbolize to the Jewish people that they need to wake up and to mend their ways and then to face the new year with a right relationship with God. But even before Rosh Hashanah, that day, in fact, one whole month before this, devout Jews will read one particular portion of the Scripture. And that particular portion of the Scripture is Psalm 27. They will read Psalm 27 every day, twice a day, once in the morning, once in the evening, for one whole month in order to prepare their hearts so that as they move into the new Jewish year, their hearts are right with God. So for us this morning, I want us to look at a New Year's psalm, Psalm 27. And may the Lord use it to help us to prepare our hearts to ready our hearts to face a new year with him. So if you haven't done already, would you turn to Psalm 27? The ancient heading 
above this psalm is simply that it was written by David. No further information is given. Uh, no circumstances recorded that might have stirred up these thoughts within David's heart's heart. But many would believe that as they read the content of this psalm, that David is writing it at a time where he is perhaps a young warrior who is now fleeing from King Saul. Remember, he was a servant to King Saul, but as David became more and more famous, he became a threat to King Saul. And so he had to flee as Saul sought his life, and he went into the wilderness of Judea, and King Saul with his army was searching for him, seeking his life. So with this in mind, shall we read Psalm 27, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy upon me, also, also upon me, and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and such as breathe out violence, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. This psalm begins, this beautiful psalm begins with David expressing his confident faith in the Lord, his God. Now remember that as David is writing this, it is suggested by so many that David is in peril. 
He is facing a really difficult situation. Probably it is King Saul pursuing him with his army. David is fleeing for his life. Now it's one thing to have confidence in God when the sun is shining down upon us, when there's money in the bank, when family life is sweet, when we're facing no hardships and no pain. But it's quite another thing to have that same confidence in God like David has when your world is crumbling down all around you, when someone is pursuing your life. Yet we read here as this psalm begins about David's great trust in God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. Did you notice that he begins with his personal testimony there? That God means so very much to him. He speaks using the very name of God that is the word Yahweh in Hebrew, using the name that speaks of God as one who is personal, one who is unchanging, one who is covenant-keeping, one who is ever faithful to his people. And he says, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. You see, our relationship with God ought to be like David's. It ought to be personal. It ought to be intimate. It ought to be that we can say, He is my God. He is my light. He is my salvation. He is my hope. Can you say that today? I hope that you can. In verse 1, David gives three descriptive words as he thinks about who God is to him. In the first one, he says, God is my light. Light speaks about hope, of being able to see clearly the way. Light chases away darkness, no matter how dense the darkness may be. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where there is absolute darkness. It is easy when we don't know where we are and when we're not sure of our surroundings that that darkness also produces within our hearts a sense of fear. And yet, when a match is struck or when a smartphone is touched and the light comes on, suddenly the light dispels the darkness. And with the dispelling of the darkness, it's the dispelling of fear. The Lord is my light. Jesus himself declared in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You see, Jesus is the light of our souls, and we ought to know that. We, we can know that. We should know that. It was 2,000 years ago or so when this world was 
covered, smothered in spiritual darkness that the Son of God himself came into this world to be a light to shine in the midst of the darkness and to pour light into the darkness of our souls so that when we were lost, when we didn't know how to live, when we didn't have hope, when we look to the Lord Jesus, we find light deep within us. We find hope. We find salvation. We begin to understand the truth of who God is and who the Lord Jesus is. The Lord is my light. And David adds to this, he says, the Lord is also my salvation, my deliverer, my rescuer. And though David perhaps has in context, uh, he has been rescued from his enemies time and time again. The greatest enemy we have is the enemy of our soul, Satan himself. And death is described in the scriptures as the enemy to us. And the Lord is the one who is our salvation. He removes spiritual darkness from us. He delivers our lives from wasted years. He delivers our lives from an eternity of lostness and a place that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. Jesus, the name Yeshua means Yahweh or Jehovah saves. And David adds here, the Lord is the strength of my life. Or more literally, he is the stronghold of my life. And the imagery there is of a strong tower of a place of refuge and safety, a place where if you're in a sen- having a sense of danger, you can run and you can hide in that place and find that the enemy cannot touch you. And if all of these things are true as David shares, and they are, he concludes in verse 1, whom then shall I fear? If God is my light, my salvation, my strength, whom shall I, of whom shall I be afraid? But what fears do we face? Because we do face fears. What fears do we face as we enter 2021? We're all frail. Maybe we don't verbalize our fears, but we face fears. What causes us to fear? Is it the uncertainty of the future? Could it be perhaps fear of failing health? Could it be for some the uncertainty of death? Could it be fear of failure as you look at yourself and, uh, and what is required of you? Or could it be a personal situation? Something outside of your control and inside it's churning you up. What causes you to fear? I have to admit, there are times I fear. In fact, all too often. But in what we face, we must never, whatever we face, we must never forget there is a God who says we can trust Him. There is a God who personally cares. There is a God who knows our situation, who is the light in the midst of darkness who is our deliverer from our enemies, who is a stronghold, a strength when we run to him. 
And as you walk into this new year and go deeper into that year, will you look to the one who is your light, your salvation, your stronghold? Because fears will come. Don't look to your own weakness. Look to the Lord. And so David shares his personal testimony there, but he also looks back at past trials. He looks back and he remembers in verse 2, when the wicked came against me, all of this is in past tense, to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. God had always protected David in the past. Perhaps he's thinking of times where he'd gone in battles against the Philistines. Perhaps even he goes back as a young man when he stood against the armies of the Philistines and slew Goliath. Those who had pursued David in the past, David describes them as being like ferocious wild beasts without mercy, seeking to devour his flesh. And yet time and time again, he says, they stumbled. They fell. That's what God caused them to do. God had intervened. God had watched over him. And we can do that same thing. As we look back over life, has God ever failed you yet? And the answer is no. Has he brought you through some tough times? The answer is yes. And he will continue to bring you through tough times. He will continue to watch over you. Why should you fear either the present or the future when you have a God who is your strength, your light, your salvation? David's peaceful trust would be found in God himself. Verse 3, though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear, though war may rise against me. In this I will be confident. The God who had delivered David in the past, the God in whom David trusted in those past days is the God whom he would trust in. No matter even if an army encamps against him, David would trust him. God, David would have confidence in him. God, David would not give in to his fears. And the same principle is to us, no, for us. No matter how big the obstacle, no matter, no matter how difficult the enemy, no matter how threatening and how hopeless the situation may seem, God is still our light and our stronghold and our deliverer. God is bigger than any problem that we face. I read this illustration that helped me to picture what God is like in a sense to me. And it meant something to me, so I want to share it with you. I read how there was a time where a particular, a particular tribe of American Indians used to have this unique practice for training their boys into becoming braves. On the night of the boy's 13th birthday, he would leave the security of home and family and he would be led blindfolded into the forest and he would be placed in the midst, miles into that dense forest to spend the entire night alone. He would be left by his father 
And after a few minutes, he was allowed to take the blindfold off his eyes. And he was left there in darkness, the darkness of the woods by himself all night long. For him, every time a twig snapped, every time a wolf growled or howled in the distance in the darkness, the boy would imagine some vicious animal that was ready to pounce upon him from out of the darkness. His heart rate would quicken. His muscles would grow taut. It was possibly the most terrifying night that he'd ever experienced in all of his life. And after what seemed an eternity of darkness, as the first morning rays broke, through the forest canopy. The boy could look around him and he could see trees. And he could see flowers. He could see the outline of a pathway that led back home. And in the shadowy side of the trees, he then would see his father, just still standing there a few meters away, armed with bow and arrow and tomahawk. The, bo the boy's father had been there secretly, silently, all night long, watching over his son. But the boy hadn't known it. And sometimes in life we can feel like that young Indian boy. We might feel lost, we might feel alone, we might feel fearful, but we have a heavenly father, unseen, who stands beside us, so that we need not fear. So as David brings this psalm, he first speaks about his trust in God. And now, of a faith that overcomes fears, he speaks of his thirsting for God, where we read there in verse 4, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What a beautiful verse this is, verse 4. What a holy desire. He says, one thing. One thing I have desired of the Lord. One holy desire. David's utmost desire above all else, was that he might dwell and abide in the presence of his Lord. He says, to gaze upon the Lord's overwhelming, unending beauty. I read that and I say, I pray, Lord, give me that kind of thirsting. And as I move into this new year, Lord, I want you to renew my desire to be in your word, to know you and to love you. I want that to be my one goal, if, if anything for the new year, one goal that I might desire to see your beauty. That I, or as the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament about Jesus, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and even the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable to him. David considers his relationship with God, his walk with God, of a being of the utmost importance. And so David would seek after his God. We read there in verse 4, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will 
I seek. And even though David is probably in the Judean wilderness, far away from the tabernacle of God, the meeting place of God, yet David, David's heart, as he writes this, he longs for the house of God. He passionately desires to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. And by this he means, because he's not a priest, he can't dwell in the tabernacle, the meeting place of God. That was for the priests. But by this he means, I long for a close and constant communion with God, to enjoy God's presence as if I lived there in the tabernacle. And there to behold the beauty of the Lord. The word that is translated beauty is a word that means the loveliness. The loveliness of the Lord. The desirableness of the Lord. And so David says, I long to gaze at the loveliness of the Lord. I love to gaze at his unending mercy. I love to gaze at his unending grace that he would save a sinner like me. I love to gaze at the perfection of his holiness. Who is like you, O God? I love to gaze at his, the unfathomable depth of his love. And can I say, O Christian, open God's word Make that a priority as you move into this year and gaze at the beauty of your God and let that beauty chase away your doubt and your fears. It will do it. And so David would seek after his God. And David adds to this, he would rest in his God, as we read in verse 5 there. For in the time of trouble, he, the Lord God, shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And we notice here that David is continuing his imagery of the tabernacle, the sacred Jewish tent of meeting where the priest would meet with God, where the priest would lead in worship. And he says, in times of trouble, the Lord will hide him, David, in his pavilion or his tent there. In fact, he goes on to say, the Lord will hide me in the secret place of God's tabernacle. That seems to be a reference to the Holy of Holies, the one place where the priests only on one day of the year could go in. It represented the very presence of God, the secret place. And David says, I am completely safe there hidden in his presence. Oh, this is all symbolic. He finds safety in the very presence of God. In fact, David says, as he finishes verse 5, the Lord will set him high upon a rock. A high ledge. A rock that is inaccessible to his enemies. God could be trusted no matter what came David's way. God would be his safety, his refuge, and he need not fear. And I love how beautifully the Old Testament and the New Testament just fold together as we learn in the New Testament that the Lord Jesus is the rock upon whom we stand. 
and that we are hidden with Christ in God. And when David says that he longs to be hidden in that secret place where God is, the New Testament says in Jesus Christ, by our faith in Christ and trust in Christ, we are hidden in him, in God. We stand secure. We, we stand safe from every enemy of our soul. And because all of this is true, David would also rejoice in his God. Verse 6. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. The picture of one's head being lifted up is, amongst his enemies is to say that the Lord would give him victory. He would be a conqueror. He would be one who would be honored amongst his enemies. A victorious man lifts his head up high. A defeated man lowers his head. And it would be God who would cause David to triumph. And so David says, I will offer to the Lord the sacrifice of joy. The sacrifice or the offering of, and I like this, the word translated joy is the word shouting. I can't wait till we not only can sing with joy, but we can shout with joy. And to sing praise from our hearts because of overflowing gratitude. David would do that. You know, the more we learn to praise, the less we will worry. The more we give thanks, the less we will fear. Whatever the situation, if we look to the Lord, if we give thanks, if we learn to praise, it is a way of trusting. So what are you worried about? What weight is on your shoulders today? Would you turn those fears into praise and joy by looking to the Lord? When we come to verse 7, it's almost as if at this time the praise and the trust and the confidence of verses 1 through 6 the mood of this seems to change from confident faith to David's needless fears. In fact, the contrast is so sharp here, so stark, that some have suggested that perhaps verses 7 through 14 were at one time a separate psalm that has now been joined together with the early part of the psalm. I mean, you read in verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy upon me. And verse 9, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. What a contrast to verse 1. The Lord is my light, my salvation, my strength. Of whom shall I be afraid? Whom shall I fear? And yet when I read that, isn't that a lot like us? We can be trusting and resting in God one day, and then life hits us with some kind of trial, especially some severe trial. And, or, or maybe in our lives we fail the Lord. We've been struggling with sin and we fail him. And our faith seems to wobble and, 
and struggle and we may even wonder, why God did you not rescue me? Where are you, Lord, in this situation? And you start to even wonder, how could God love me the way I am? We hear David's fearful cry as he takes his eyes for a moment off of the Lord and onto his circumstances and onto his weakness. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy upon me and answer me. David knows within himself that he is simply a man with feet of clay. He knows that he has no right to demand anything of God And so he simply pleads for something he has a right to ask of God. I plead for your mercy. God wants us to cry out to him with our burdens and our needs. He knows our heart. So sometimes when we start to feel cold, when we start to feel empty, when we start to struggle in some way with faith, what a great place to to bring our cares to to the Lord because he knows anyway and David claims the mercies of God and longs to hear from him Lord have mercy Lord answer me and God in his mercy answers and in verse 8 he says to David David seek my face seek my presence and, it, and immediately David's heart responds, Your face, Lord, I will seek. With all my heart, I will do that. And might that be the goal of this new year for each of us to seek the face of God. And as David seeks God's face, he gets a sense of his own unworthiness there in verse 9 as he prays and sees God as all glorious, all holy, perfectly righteous. He then looks at himself and in nine he cries out some more, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. Lord, don't abandon me, he cries. Have you ever felt yourself too unworthy to come before God? I have. Have you ever felt yourself too sinful for God to answer your prayers? I have. Have you ever felt at times that if you were God, you wouldn't forgive someone like me? I have. And so David cries out for mercy and says, Lord, don't abandon me. As I look to who you are, don't forsake me, don't abandon me. And you know, God was not about to do that. In fact, his faithful commitment is heard in verse 10 as David then refocuses on God and remembers what God is like. And David says, when my father and my mother forsake me, what will take place then? then the Lord will take care of me. God would never cast aside his children, no matter how weak, no no matter how much we struggle. 
And in a sense, David is saying, may it never be that the closest bonds on earth, that of a father and mother to, to one's child, may it never be that a, chi- that a parent would forsake his or her child. But if they did, then the Lord would take care of you. And his love would be sufficient. The bond between the weakest of sinners and the eternal God will never ever fail God will never turn his back on his children because around 2,000 years ago the eternal God turned his back on his son the son of God who came into this world and willingly bore our sins on Calvary and there upon that cross of Calvary as he shed his blood and died for us we hear his cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Willingly, Jesus took the wrath that we deserved so that the eternal God will never, ever turn his back on the weakest of his children. David's needless fears soon pass and David returns to his steadfast focus as he looks back at God and he says verse 11 teach me your way O Lord and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses have risen against me and such as breathe out violence I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. David seeks God's guidance as in verse 11 he says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path. Notice when he says, Teach me your way, he doesn't say, Give me my way, O Lord, but teach me yours. So how do I learn God's way in 2021? I think we already know. We need to begin by opening God's word and reading God's word and applying it to our lives. It is so important that believers get into God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's so important that believers gather together as a local church and place themselves under the preaching of the word because it strengthens our faith. It points us again and again and again to the eternal faithful God. And when we live in line with God's word, God leads us in a much smoother path than if we follow the way of the world that ends in tragedy. David there in verse 12 refers back to the God who delivered him from those who opposed him and those who lied about him. And yet for us, our prayers perhaps would not be about those who oppose us, though some may face opposition from others but my prayer will often be Lord deliver me from the evil one like in the Lord's prayer 
Deliver me from Satan's lies and bring me safe into your presence. And then David rests in God's goodness where we read in verse 13, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David could live with hope because he knew absolutely that God was good and that his goodness and mercy would follow him all the days of his life. And in verse 14, David speaks to himself and to others as he closes this psalm. He says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. This word, wait, has the sense of not simply kill time, But the idea is wait in faith. Wait in faith upon the Lord. Be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart. Wait in faith upon the Lord. It's a faith that conquers fears. It's a faith that is strengthened when we look to the living God. Wait in faith. Don't run ahead of God. Don't take things into your own hands. Don't fret. But David says... Be of good courage because you have every reason to be courageous. You have a God who is with you and a God who is for you. You have Jesus as the captain of your salvation who is unchanging, who will never stop loving you. You have the Holy Spirit of God who is dwelling within each believer to strengthen you. We have the promise that victory is assured, that eternal life is ours, that heaven is certain. So be of good courage, my brothers and sisters. Therefore do not fear, but wait in faith, and he shall strengthen your heart. Whatever the new year begins, brings along the way, We are to face it with a God who is sovereign and powerful, who is our light, our salvation, and the strength of our lives. He will be with us step by step. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the promises that you give in your word, that you are indeed a faithful God. We thank you that when we struggle with life, as we look to you and realize that you, the eternal God, gave the greatest of gifts in your son, who is willing to come and die upon that cross of Calvary for our sins, how will you not freely give us with him all things that we need? You will be the strength of our life. You will be our rock, our fortress, our light, as we go into this new year. And you know what burdens people are bearing today. And you have told us, cast our cares upon you, knowing that you care for us. So help us, as we move into this year, to always look to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.